Okay, we're all good. Let's do it. Hello and welcome to the B2C Lead Generation Podcast. Welcome back to the B2C Lead Gen Podcast. My name is Daniel Hopewell, here with co-host Simon Delaney. And this is episode 27, Should Brands Stop Spending Money on Digital Ads? Um, now, as you might expect, we're not going to be answering this with absolutes, but there are some really interesting ideas within this. And to explore that today, we've got a fantastic guest joining us, and that is Dr. Augustine Fu, who is uh, now joining us by Zoom. Welcome to the show, Augustine. How are you doing today? Very good. Howdy from Dallas. Um, so normally, Augustine, I intro guests and say what their role is, what their job is, where they work. Um, I was going to do that for you. And I looked at your LinkedIn again and I was like, this is kind of an impossible task because you do so much and do different things. So rather than me sort of tentatively massacre what you do, um, could you intro to people listening just to kind of say the facts sure. of what, what your role is and what you do? All right. I'm Augustine Fu. I'm an ad fraud researcher and a digital marketer of more than 25 years. I started out in digital marketing in 1995-96 in Silicon Alley, kind of our name for it in New York. And I've seen the entire arc of the evolution of digital marketing from the early days when we actually had to convince clients they needed a website. And so we've come a long way in the last 25 years to now, you know, where where pretty much everything or most dollars are spent through through digital, you know, compared to traditional channels. So I've been a digital marketer for that period of time. And recently I focused in on the problem of ad fraud because when we started automating the buying and selling of the ads through programmatic exchanges, it also allowed the bad guys to automate the fraud and to scale the fraud. So previously when marketers bought ads from real publishers, there was someone you, know, you could negotiate with uh, sitting across the table from you. But now when you're buying through programmatic exchanges, you basically give them a chunk of money and tell them to spend it all, right? So then they look for all the different websites and apps where the ads can go. So because of that, uh, we've seen a dramatic rise in ad fraud in the last 10 years. So as a digital marketer, we actually have to solve that because you know when we have a lot of bot activity, uh, it's messing up all of our analytics because the bots are generating more impressions, more traffic, more clicks the analytics that we see are no longer reliable. So then we're not making good business decision, uh, business decisions based on uh, uh, fake analytics. So I've had to focus on the problem of ad fraud and that's kind of where I am right now. Just quickly on that, do you have an idea of a rough percentage of what the total fraud is? It's a number that no one wants to hear. Uh, so you'll see that the industry trade associations have put out estimates over the years but I always find fault with those estimates because they're projecting from a very small sample set, right? They clearly don't see the entire universe and they're also relying on the technologies of specific fraud detection tech companies. And because of that, um, some of those companies properly disclose the amount of impressions that cannot be measured. But for those impressions that can't be measured, you, you can't assume that they're fine, right? You have to say, we just didn't have any data on it. So based on my data, um, I'm seeing very large amounts of fraud compared to the one to 3% that the industry typically uh, represents. But even the one to 3% is multiple billions of dollars because in the US, for example, we're spending $150 billion in digital marketing uh, every year. And worldwide, it's approaching 400 billion in digital. 
So even a small percentage of that represents billions of dollars that are going into the pockets of bad guys and not towards showing ads to real humans. So the marketers that are spending the money are not going to get any, any impact from it. But the brands, yeah, they, if they don't see any returns, why do they keep doing it? They see returns, but I, I usually use the uh, correlation versus causation. They happen to see sales happening while they're running digital marketing. It doesn't mean that the digital marketing drove the sales. So for some of the largest brands, and I would characterize these as the CPG companies, the ones that are selling soup and soda in grocery stores, uh, the way they use digital marketing is for reach and frequency, They're very similar to the way they use uh, TV, right, and billboard advertising, things like that. When they're doing that, uh, they basically say, oh, well, we don't need any kind of performance metrics because we don't sell anything online. We just want branding, right? We want branding effect, make more people aware. And so they go about buying as many ad impressions as possible, and they think they're doing better by buying cheaper impressions, right? They think they're saving money by buying lower CPM in inventory. But those low cost ads coming through programmatic exchanges, a large portion of those are coming from fake websites. The reason the fake websites can sell it for such low cost is because they don't have writers, they don't have journalists, they don't have editors. Their job is not to create real content for real humans to read. Their job is solely to load as many ad impressions as possible. So like I said earlier, when we started automating the buying and selling of ads by buying them through exchanges, it allowed the bad guys to now create tens of thousands of sites to load into those exchanges, right? All they have to do is add a little bit of code onto their website and they can start running ad impressions. So then they use bot traffic to generate a lot of page views on those sites. And all of a sudden they're magically creating lots and lots of ad inventory to sell through the exchanges, right? So in that case, the marketers are using kind of a reach and frequency mentality to buy as many ads as possible. And they think it's working because they're still seeing sales, but very few of them have actually done the correlation to say, okay, did the digital marketing actually drive the sales or would the sales have occurred anyway in the absence of digital marketing? And I think in the last couple of years, there's been only a few documented examples where the marketers actually turn off their digital spend. So when P&G turned off $200 million of their digital spend, they saw no change in business outcomes. When Chase, uh, the bank here uh, in the US, when they reduced their programmatic reach from 400,000 websites showing their ads, to just 5,000 websites showing their ads. That's a 99% decrease in reach. They saw no change in business outcomes, but very few of these advertisers are willing to admit that the digital marketing wasn't working. So we have very few of these examples to cite, just those two in recent couple of years. Um, but if more marketers did their homework and really looked into whether their digital marketing was actually driving any incremental business outcomes, uh, they would think otherwise, right? Right now, not enough of them are doing that so that they're continuing to spend because that's the thing that they've done before. I guess it's just easy as well, right? I mean, Daniel and I, uh, before we jumped on here, we were just talking about the sort of parallels with data in the sense of lead generation, um, where people concentrate on the number of like, leads they get but it's just data right so there's no yeah it doesn't quantity 
yeah there, there's yeah, no conversions behind it and they they treat like success as being the volume of data they receive not the number of sales that they're making exactly um, and so they just can't of, get they can't get off that hamster wheel that's exactly right that's a great analogy it's a hamster wheel that once they're on they they don't want to be the first to jump off right so bottom line is they've been very focused or overly focused on quantity metrics or vanity metrics because those are easy to gather and easy to report on. So when a marketer says, oh, you know, they reported to their bosses, this quarter we bought this many tens of billions of impressions and we got a really good deal. We got it at really cheap CPMs. And those are the numbers that they reported up the line. So now they're very embarrassed to have to go back and say, oh, well, we shouldn't have bought so many impressions and we maybe should have paid higher CPMs to buy ads from real publishers. So again, like you said, once they get into that hamster wheel, it's very hard for them to, you know, get themselves off. And they tend to focus on these quantity metrics because more is better, right? So uh, they end up just buying more and more impressions and, you know, it just keeps going round and round like that. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned it there, but I think, I don't know much Simon, but I know when I first came across you, it was the article in, um, in Forbes that you did about, about these brands, P&G, um, turning off their spend. Um, like what happened after that? Did, once they realized this, did they, did they turn it back on? Did they continue doing it? Like what, why and how did that progress? They, it didn't progress after that. So it seemed like it was a great PR stunt for them. But um, I would have expected if 200 million didn't drive anything, you shouldn't you test the next 200 million, right? So the way I kind of explain this to small and medium businesses or even just smaller marketers, not everyone can turn off $200 million of spend but why don't they turn off 200,000 of their spend? See if there's any change, right? Turn, if there's no change, turn off the next 200,000, turn off the next 200,000 until you see a change. But right now there's another phenomenon that's uh, at play, which is the marketers tend, who work at bigger companies tend to have to spend it all, right? So they're given a budget the year prior to say, this is your budget for next year and it gets approved and everything. Their job is to spend it all. Very often, um, you know, we've heard these horror stories where at the end of the year, they're running behind on spending it all. So then they quickly say to their agency, oh, go find me something to spend this $5 million on. I need to spend it before the end of the year. Otherwise, I won't get enough, you know, won't get as much budget next year. So there's a misalignment of incentives. So very often, the larger the company, like a P&G or Unilever, the more incentive there is for the marketers to just want to spend it all. And it's actually compounded by the fact that some of these larger companies, these larger advertisers uh, give the money to their media agencies to spend for them. And the media agencies also want to spend it all because if they don't spend it all, they don't earn all of their revenues as well because they typically earn a share of uh, the media spend. So in that case, uh, all the incentives are misaligned to actually getting better outcomes from your digital marketing. They are aligned to spending it all. And in fact, I just saw a recent report from a client's agency saying, oh, great, you know, this campaign delivered in full. That's their main objective. It delivered in full. And even if they were running behind on real ad impressions, uh, there's a phenomenon that I call end of month traffic fulfillment or end of quarter traffic fulfillment. Basically, you see a huge spike in volume on the very last day of the month or on the very last couple of days of the quarter. 
because they were running behind on their number and it wasn't going to deliver in full. So then they just use bot traffic because again, you know, you can't get a whole bunch of humans to go to your specific website when you tell them to, right? That just doesn't happen. But it's very easy for an entire botnet. You just give it one command and say, we need 10 million more impressions, go, right? And then the botnet just generates all those impressions. So we see that phenomenon where they're just trying to make their number by the end of the month. So uh, the campaign delivered in full. That's kind of the, uh, the objective of many marketers and agencies. Yeah, we, we see exactly the same thing with them. Um it's is really funny the parallels directly between like specifically leads and lead generation and um, drive or supposedly driving traffic to ads um, but you're exact there, there were two things that I thought when you said it's number one is the um, marketing and sales being siloed so they're not measuring against each other marketing has its own goals which is metrics vol yeah. yeah volume of impressions or clicks or whatever and then sales is just operating on something else and the other is the spend. I mean, we see all the time, which is I've got a five million pound budget and I have to spend it all. You're like, well, why? Because I don't get it next year and my bonus is related to it. Yes, exactly. Let me spend a minute on the lead side of things mm. because there's some fraud associated with that. So a lot of ad tech companies will say, okay, well, you're not paying for the ads. You're not even paying for the clicks. You're only paying when you get the lead. So don't worry about the fraud. Right. So that's how they try to convince the marketers to not worry. But uh, as you probably have seen in the lead space, there's also fraudulent leads. Mm. So from my experience in serving university marketers and other industries like insurance, uh, where they're, they're trying to get as many leads as possible. I've also seen that phenomenon where they're they're bonused on the number of leads they got, whether it was quality or not. But in some of the cases, the university marketers have to discard 50 to 70% of the leads that they get because they're not real. Yeah. Now in a few years ago, some of these were so obviously fake, right? You can just look at the street address or look at the name. It's clearly made up, right? But these days it's not that easy to tell anymore because obviously, you know, of these very large data breaches that have occurred over the years, pretty much the bad guys have all of your information, complete information, right? So what we're finding these days is that uh, they would fill out a college application in its entirety with complete information and completely accurate information. But then when the university calls up the high schooler, the high schooler will say, well, I never applied to your university. Right? So basically between the data breaches and between all the information that high schoolers volunteer on Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp and so on and so forth, the bad guys pretty much have complete information uh, about every user. So their bots are able to just fill in those forms and submit them because their objective is to get paid that cost per lead, mm. right? So they're not paying on a CPM or CPC basis. They're only paying on a CPL basis. So then the bots will do the exact thing that they get paid for. So we're seeing yeah. a lot more of these completely accurate leads being submitted. But then when the uh, client follows up, uh, the user says, I never submitted that. 100%. I mean, we see it with, um, so there's two things in that. So number one is um, you definitely see it more in certain types of advertising, programmatic being one of them. You'll see a sudden submission of a massive amount of leads. And um, what happens is they'll pass all the verification and validation and that thing because they're 100% legitimate, right? Yes. Even to the degree 
of the um, IP address, because you get certain, I mean, IP address to IP address is quite like, not 100% because you might have like a substation in, I don't know, like Houston, but you're based in Dallas, but you can say it's near enough. Um, yeah. So that even that will match. But then when the person gets phoned, they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Where did you get yep. my details from? And we've found it's either bots. And the, the way that um, we've seen bots happen before, and this isn't 100%, but we had to do something for a particular client, is we put Google Recapture on the front of the form. And the bot was actually going behind the form um, via curl, I think, populating the form and submitting the data behind it. But what happened is if one in every like 20 leads say would we get a recapture fire to say because it actually comes into databall saying this user hasn't filled recapture in you're like well how on earth have they filled the form in yeah and it's the bot coming but what it means is google recapture only captures some of it right it only shows the puzzle to some of it so then you have to go through the data of all these leads from like one supplier or whatever and you realize there's usually a it's a, a tell, you know, like there's something like a classic example is um, one that we caught is the postcode of every lead that came in was in the same format where it was like lowercase letters, numbers, lowercase letters. And the chance of every single user filling it in the same way, we were like, this is a script on 10,000 yeah, leads. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and basically, uh, as a researcher, just like you found, we catch the bad guys when they mess up, mm. right? That's an example of where they messed up, right? If they actually did that correctly and, and properly did the uppercase, lowercase, we wouldn't have caught that, right? But yeah. because we're looking at the data enough, we said, this can't be possible, right? Humans don't do it that, that way. So that's how I usually catch things as well as when they mess up. But if we've looked at the data long enough, we will see those occasions when the, the bots do mess up, right? Where um, you know, there's some kind of event where either the botnet goes down and then all of a sudden, you know, we see 10,000 leads an hour and then all of a sudden it drops to zero, right? Again, humans don't move that way, right? You can't get a huge uh, audience of humans all doing the exact same thing at the same time, right? So, so those are very good telltale signs that you can actually see in the data yourself. And by the way, bots so can easily defeat captures. So I think Google recaptures the best form of the captures, yeah. but uh, bots can still easily defeat that. And there's even cases where they outsource the solution of the captcha to humans. So do you know of microworkers or uh, mechanical Click, click farms, we call them. Yeah, exactly. So they would just present that just the uh, capture portion of the page to a human in a click farm and a human would solve it and then send back the result. So they're basically iframing that portion of the page and then getting a human to actually solve it to then wow. bypass. So in addition to what you said, which is like, it's code. So the, the bot can just go behind the capture. They don't actually have to solve the capture, right? If, mm. if your form submission is not tied to or not properly tied to the solution of the capture, right? So some sites didn't set it up correctly right then the bot can still submit the form without having to solve the capture yeah so very often the captures uh, increase the burden on real humans but they don't actually solve the bot problem for the people who are using it and yeah when we've seen it, it the numbers correlate sort of what you were saying like we've suddenly seen a lot of data and i suspect that you know as you mentioned a lot of companies just get hit by this um 
And what's what's interesting that we see is that lead a lot of leads, the the lead generators that are like professional organisations that do this a lot, you will find they don't use certain channels of traffic, and after it's because they don't see results from them because they don't have the metrics just to measure sales of like where they're coming from a bit like a, a giant like P&G would. So the only way they can exist is to get results. And I think over time, what they learn is if we do programmatic, it's just not going to work. So they wouldn't even contemplate running it. I see. That's actually good. So for those people who are actually looking at real outcomes, right? Did the leads actually convert into customers? Um, then they, they know, right? They know that certain channels are completely useless. So there's so much fictional metrics in programmatic right now. Um, you know, a large portion of the ad impressions are wasted. The clicks are not real. Even the leads are not real. So that's why, you know, I wrote that article to say, you know, marketers should really run much tougher experiments for themselves, right? The turnoff experiment is actually the best way to test this, the easiest way in my mind. Uh, if you turn off, you know, 200,000 of your spend, did anything change? Did the number of leads you get or the velocity of the leads you get, did any of that change? If none of that changed, then you know, turn off the next 200,000, right? So whether it's fraud or not, that 200,000 of digital spend wasn't producing any anything for you, any, let alone incremental, right? Yeah. So I think uh, those are experiments that I guess a lot of marketers were just hesitant to run but given 2020, given the pandemic, um, a lot of marketers did pause their digital spend in 2020. So because of that, we've seen a big increase in number of marketers being more cautious about what they turn back on, right? So you know, if everything were just chugging along and the pandemic didn't happen, we wouldn't have this opportunity to, to, you know, for the marketers to take a closer look. But because of the pandemic, many more of the marketers are actually starting to question uh, why are they not getting the results or why are, you know, like no matter what they spend in digital, they're not seeing any change in the rate of outcomes. And that goes back to the earlier point, which is those sales would have happened anyway. It wasn't caused by your digital marketing. And this also relates to a third fraud case. And this is a big one from Uber, right? Uber was paying hundreds of millions of dollars for app install campaigns to mobile uh, exchanges. They were trying to get more people to install the app. When Kevin Frisch, the analyst, the, the marketing uh, analyst there, turned off the spend, he saw that the app installs continued because those were what we call organic installs. Humans installed the Uber app because they wanted Uber, not because they saw an ad and clicked on it. Mm -hmm. So what a majority of those mobile exchanges were doing is they were falsifying the metrics to claim credit for those app installs when those app installs would have happened anyway or had already happened, right? So that's basically a, a form of fraud where they're tricking the attribution so that they can get paid the cost per install, very similar to cost per lead, yeah, right? Yeah. So Uber is now suing 100 mobile exchanges for that form of fraud. But very sadly, you know, now most of those exchanges don't exist anymore, right? So they basically made off of the money and they're gone. So what's, um, I mean, if you were like a, uh, I don't know, CMO or marketer at a, a big firm um, like a PNG, but they don't do it anymore. I mean, do they have any realization of this, do you think? Or are they just so sort of obsessed with spending the budget and doing everything else suggests that they're not even thinking about it? Or is it? Very sadly, they've heard about ad fraud 
But in the US here, the Association of National Advertisers, the ANA, has basically told most of the CMOs that attend their events that fraud is under control and the ANA's programs have solved it, right? It's in the 1% range, don't worry about it. So now most of them are under the impression it's a cost of doing business, right? So very similar to credit card fraud where the credit card companies have to allocate between one and 3% to chargebacks and you know illegal transactions and things like that. One to 3% is an acceptable cost of doing business. But when it's 25%, 50% of your budget, that's not an acceptable cost of doing business. But yet a lot of the CMOs, uh, they're not told the truth, right? So whether it's from the trade associations like the ANA or they're the marketers that work for them, right? The marketers who are given the budgets, you know, they're not going to say, oh, oops, I made a mistake. And I, you know, there's a lot of fraud in our campaigns. They're all going to sugarcoat it and say, well, this is, the Excel spreadsheet that my agency gave me and the agency said everything was fine. And the agency will have a scapegoat as well. They'll hire double verify integral ad signs and some of these other fraud detection companies. And when they give them a report that says it's 1% IVT, which stands for invalid traffic, they'll say, oh, well, fraud is 1%. Don't worry about it. But fraud is way more than invalid traffic, right? Those technologies are tuned for looking for bot traffic coming to web pages. So that's what they call IVT, invalid traffic. But when we have shifted spend into mobile apps and mobile and CTV and other spaces, when you have a flashlight app or an alarm clock app that's loading millions of impressions fraudulently in the background when the app is not being used and when the mobile device is not in use, that's fraudulent, right? But those technologies that are tuned for looking for bots may not see that. So when they report 1% IVT, they're significantly under-reporting on all of the fraud that might be impacting the campaigns. So that's why a lot of people still think it's 1%. Don't worry about it right? and just keep spending. But you know, it's gotten to a point where common sense will tell you it's not possible for us to have 10 trillion impressions per week, right? Or the number, I mean, there's only a finite number of humans on earth. I think last count was somewhere under 8 billion. And not everyone has internet access, has smartphones, has CTV, right? And they're not spending eight hours a day consuming media on the internet. So years ago, you know, all of those common sense metrics would have already been surpassed. So we're generating just in too, too many ad impressions to be realistic. But again, it goes back to our earlier point, which is a lot of marketers are still buying digital media with a reach and frequency mentality. Right. They think that if they just have more ad impressions, it's going to make their marketing uh, program show more results. But it's actually, you know, couldn't be further from the truth, as yeah. we saw from the PNG and the Chase examples. It reminds me of a conversation I had a couple of months ago with one of our clients who rang me and said, I've got a supplier sending me half a million leads a day from um, in Australia. So I was like, what's the population of Australia? Australia, exactly. Yeah, and you went 20 million or something. So I was like, well, that's a lot of yeah. people <laughs> yeah. to be sent every day as leads. Yes. So I, mean, I had not thought of that. I was like, yeah, you Common need to look sense. into that. <laughs> that's right. So what I'm seeing right, right now is that the digital marketing is not good digital marketing. In fact, it's really just based on reach and frequency. It's quantity based. So there's a ton of waste in it. And it's really not only facilitating the fraud, it's also perpetuating the fraud. 
So if I were to spend my own money, so over the years I have worked on the client side and currently I'm helping clients optimize their campaigns. So if it were my own dollars, my own budget, the way I would spend it would be, I'm going to give just very simple answers right now, right? Obviously there are nuances uh, beyond that. But if you're doing search marketing, uh, you can spend your money on Google and make sure you turn off search partners so that the ads actually run on google.com itself, right? So in those cases, humans do Google things, right? So in fact, there's still a lot of humans uh, on google.com. In that case, you're reducing the majority of the fraud that's coming from those search partners because those search partners not only have the motive, they also have the means to commit the fraud, right? That, that's the click fraud. So the bots will uh, cause the search ad to load on the search partner site and then click on it so they can earn the CPC. By eliminating those search partners and keeping all your ads running only on the main property of google.com, you're going to cut out the majority of the, the simple kinds of fraud, the click fraud. Very similarly, if you're running display ads, you can run them on Facebook uh, and turn off Facebook audience network. So then you avoid all the sites and apps that have the motive and the means to commit fraud and, and make money from that, right? Again, if you keep your ads only on Facebook and Instagram and WhatsApp, meaning their main properties, then you're eliminating most of your exposure to uh, that kind of fraud. And then furthermore, I, I always tell marketers, you know, if you really have a, a dollar to spend, so this applies primarily to small and medium businesses because they have very, very limited budgets. If I had a dollar to spend, I would actually invest it in creating content first before spending it in paid media. And that's because your content can continue to pay dividends for you over time. Whereas in paid media, the ad is over once you air it. Right. So if you had a dollar to spend, it would make more sense for you to invest it in creating content. And furthermore, if you're doing paid media, right, if someone clicks to your website and there's nothing there, right, there's no good content, nothing useful for them, they're going to leave and it's, it's completely wasted. Right. So before you do paid media, you should have sufficient content uh, to where you can drive people to. Right. So you first pay for the content make sure you have sufficient things. And this content is primarily to help customers in their uh, journey, right? In their customer journey. They're probably gonna have questions about your product, especially a more complex or a bigger ticket item. So when they have these questions, um, is there a place they can go to find an answer to then help them get further along their customer journey, right? So this applies more to the B2B type stuff, the, the bigger ticket items, more complex products, right? It applies less to soup and soda and things like that, the, the low ticket items. But uh, when you're talking about lead gen and companies, you know, it's probably a more complex product that humans tend to research a little bit more. So make sure you have enough content available to them before you do your paid media. So then those two things can uh, complement each other and work hand in hand. Yeah, that's perfect. It's funny, some of the stuff you mentioned as well is this, this comes back to this thing with um, lead generators that are focused purely on results. And some clients, I guess, they they follow the strategies that you're mentioning with using like walled garden approaches so that they can't be exposed to um, like unknown things that exist outside of it. Because like I said, that's exactly where the uh, the fraud happens. But in it, we've seen it can also come from networks as well. Because if you have like an affiliate, because it works in a very similar way to like problematic or display, 
um, but let's say they're driving it via email. If someone gets hold of the link and they've realized that they can monetize that particular thing, yeah, they just figure out a way to um, start driving traffic. Yeah, the bots will do exactly the thing that they get paid for. Nothing yeah. more, nothing less. They'll figure out what they can get paid for and do exactly that. And this is why this is a big thing that we concentrate on a lot, which is stop focusing on leads. And in the case of programmatic, it'd be stop focusing on impressions and clicks and just focus on results. Yeah. Because if you focus on results, it tells you where to go. Yes. So, you know, you know where you're better. So you, you measure each channel. So you go programmatic, Google, Facebook, native, affiliates, whatever. Put 100K budget behind each of them and measure the sales off the back end as far as you can. Yes. And then you yes. know instantly. Yeah. What? And then it's just about shifting budgets right between the channels. Mm. What's um? So I think I've seen you mention something about does this does display have a future, like and does it exist within programmatic or does it have to be taken out of that context? No, display ads are fine, but just realize that humans, most humans, hate ads. They they don't look at the ads, right? So there's been years of eye tracking studies. Uh, they call it banner blindness, right? So on typical websites, the humans know not to look at the top and the right because that's where the banner ads go. So not only is there banner blindness, there's also ad blocking, right? So now that's grown to a large, larger phenomenon, not huge, but we see somewhere between 10 and 20% of users on desktop using ad blockers. Mm. And the number in mobile is far less. It's somewhere between, you know, zero and 1%. And that's because the, the mobile browsers don't have plugins, right? Whereas the desktop browsers have plugins and extensions. So you can add an Adblock Plus extension and that kind of stuff. So there's banner blindness, there's ad blocking. And on top of that, um, the converse, right? The humans block ads, but bots don't because the bots actually, their job is to cause the ads to load. So of the users that you're now showing banner ads to, it's disproportionately it's humans, right? Because the humans have literally taken themselves out of that equation by using ad block software. You can't even show an ad to 10% of the population or up to 20% of the population. So whatever is left over is now disproportionately higher in bots. Either the composition of the remaining audience is higher in bots. So, you know, display ads still have their place. But um, marketers should really look very hard at whether it's generating any incremental uh, outcomes for them. Now, some will argue, oh, well, look at all the DTC companies, right? Direct-to-consumer companies that have done really well. They've launched with you know, no offline media. They've launched entirely online. But a lot of that is not just from display, right? Display ads are basically carpet bombing. And despite all the supposed targeting, the only people who think the targeting is working are the advertisers and their agencies and the ad tech companies that sold them the targeting, right? None of the consumers think the ads are targeted, right? They, you know, in some cases, the retargeting, they actually think it's creepy, right? When I go on Amazon and look at a particular computer monitor, you know, within minutes, that same monitor shows up in a banner ad on another site that I go to, right? So Amazon sold my data to some other ad tech company and they're now targeting that exact monitor, that product that I looked at in a retargeted ad. So some of those things, you know, consumers experience with ads are not good, right? They don't like them. There's too many of them. It makes their experience on a website terrible. And on top of that, they feel it's creepy when they're actually retargeted, right? So 
I would say display ads should be part of the mix, but probably a much smaller part of the mix than it currently is. And marketers can better deploy their dollars in search marketing. Uh, when people are actually searching for something, wouldn't that be the best time to get an ad in front of them? Right, because they actually are looking for something at that moment and they even told you what they're looking for. And on top of that, search marketing is paid on cost per click basis. So you can get a lot of free impressions and you don't even need to pay until you get the click. Right. So a lot of marketers, again, like you said earlier, because they're so siloed, there are different departments or there's a search department, there's a there's a marketing branding department, right? Because of the fragmentation or the silos of departments, um, they don't work very well together. And I think if you think of marketing as a whole, digital is a part of it. And then within digital, uh, they really need to revisit the mix and the budget allocation between the tactics within digital to you know, make their overall campaigns better. And what about um, like publisher direct display? So, you know, you could go direct to like New York Times. That's say, great. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in the last 10 years, when programmatic came around, uh, the good publishers have been the ones that have suffered most, right? Because the buyers, like the big advertisers and the media agencies that buy for them, have all been chasing higher quantities and lower cost. And when you think about the mainstream publishers, their audience sizes don't change very much. Right? They don't grow and contract by hundreds of percent per year, right? It's really one or 2% up or down every year, right? So the audience sizes remain pretty stable. They don't change very, very much. And therefore the number of impressions that they can sell don't change very much. And then finally, because they have actual costs of pr producing the content, like uh, the journalists and the editors, they can't sell it for very low, right? They can't sell it for below a certain threshold. So because of that, uh, the marketers have started shifting budget away from good publishers and to programmatic exchanges because magically there's billions more impressions to buy there. And magically it's one-tenth the cost, okay? And so also what's, you know, like when you look at um, most visited websites, like in the US or the UK, it's literally dominated like the entire population by 10 websites. And the rest, so when you then get all these billions of impressions, you're like, that doesn't really exactly. match up with the metrics. Exactly right. Your human experience. So here's a here's a fun experiment I run in class. I basically ask the students, name off as quickly as you can ten websites that you visit every day. Okay, so they'll start rattling off a few, and they'll start slowing down when they get to five, to seven, to eight. They can't even name ten websites that they visit every single day. Mm. Right. So that's the common human experience. And then similarly, if I say name off ten mobile apps you use every day. Right, they will basically not even reach 10 and then stop. So yes, there can be long tail sites and apps, but there aren't so many humans that visit that, right? They're long tail for a reason. They're niche in their content. They're niche in you know, the type of audience that would play them. So in those cases, again, common sense will tell you um, those are potentially you know, fake or fraudulent or somehow they're juicing their numbers to be able to get billions upon billions of impressions. To sell. So kind of getting back to your point, if a marketer simply whitelisted a number of mainstream publishers and said, we want to buy direct from that publisher, getting their ad in front of humans is going to by far outweigh any of the other things that the ad tech companies have sold them, right? Oh, it's cheaper. It's a larger quantity. You got more targeting parameters and all that kind of stuff, right? 
but all of that comes at the expense of you're not even showing ads to humans, right? Because another phenomenon that I hadn't mentioned yet, but the bots can easily pretend to be any audience segment you want to buy, right? So over the years, I'll use a simple example. In serving pharmaceutical clients, the bots will deliberately visit medical journals like New England Journal of Medicine, Journal of Clinical Oncology, and these medical journals. And by basically creating this website visitation pattern, in the eyes of the ad tech companies, the, the data sellers, these cookies, these users will now, they'll say, oh, well, these must be doctors because they visited these medical sites, right? So then that audience segment becomes a target for the pharmaceutical companies who are willing to pay even higher CPMs because they think they're targeting doctors and oncologists. So in that case, um, you know, those audience segments are not humans. Uh, they're just bots pretending to be a certain audience segment that you want to target. So by buying directly from the publisher, um, you're actually getting ads in front of real humans. And that's going to far outweigh any of the other targeting and low cost and larger quantities that, you're, that you happen to be buying through programmatic right now. So I think I'm hoping that more marketers will kind of get back to buying media as if it were 1995, right? Buy from good publishers and you're going to see an increase uh, in your outcomes, uh, productivity of your digital campaigns. It's funny, isn't it? It just always goes, keep going back full circle. Um, it's been the same with data and leads and the same with impressions and clicks. It just keeps coming back to the same thing, which is, it's the same as anything, really. If it's low cost and high volume, there's usually a problem. If it's too good to be true, it is too good to be true. <laughs> Bottom line, all those uh, tenets still hold. Exactly. That's, um, that's been so insightful. Um, I've, we've really enjoyed having you share. I know people who we listen to this will find a lot of this really incredibly valuable so thank you so much um for joining us today dr augustine Fu. it's been it's been a real pleasure having you on thank you so much thank you for having me thanks for listening to the b2c lead generation podcast the show for serious lead generators be sure to hit subscribe to hear more from those at the very cutting edge of the lead gen world 